Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sunday Showcase. Highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. I'm Jack Ward and we're back with Mutual Presents Episode 312 and our look into the old-time radio of the original Mutual Broadcasting System found on the Mutual YouTube channel. And this week we turn back to the skies of Exploring Tomorrow and our double feature, The Mutant and The Martian Queen. So turn back those clocks as we return to the days of classic mutual. Some things are better than others, but that uh, we should never say that anything is wrong, that it has no value. That's not true. There are things that are wrong. Yes, some things are just plain wrong. No rightness about them. Atomic war is one of those things. If we get started on a real atomic war, you see, ordinary war destroys men. Atomic war can destroy humanness by producing mutations that aren't human. But there's another thing that's wrong, too, and that's the wrongness of fooling yourself. Not merely others, but fooling yourself. And that's tonight's story. And you say the annual budget of this institution is $8 million, Dr. Holler? That's right, Senator Bryan. $8 million a year for the care and feeding of... of... The freaks, Doctor? Oh, we try never to think of them as freaks, Senator. And never to speak of them that way. Some of them have unusually sensitive hearing. Yes, but they are... Uh... Well, they're mutants, Senator. Uh... Genetic sports created by radioactive fallout. You might say they're martyrs to the criminal stupidity of the 20th century. Well, is it compulsive for a, a mutant to live in an institution like this? I confess I'm not completely familiar with the legal aspect. Compulsory? No, Senator. It's not compulsory. But it's often simpler for a mutant to live within these walls than out there in the world at large. So I can understand that. Eighty percent of them have come here voluntarily. And the rest? Committed by relatives who couldn't stand the sight of them. But, uh... Come, let me show you some of the patients, Senator. That's Anna over there. You'll notice I didn't bother knocking. Anna doesn't hear sound. When she wants privacy, she just bolts her door. But, uh, uh, what is she doing? Thinking. That's all? Just, just thinking? Well, that's all she ever does, Senator. She's, uh, busy working on a new cosmological theory. Come, Senator. We're disturbing her concentration. Let's let's try another room. You know, there are many different types of mutations, of course, Senator. Hardly any two are alike. And some of our patients are simply physically deformed. You know, an extra limb, a strange texture of skin, differences like that. But others are more or less normal physically. 
but have unusual mental ability. And still others, like Anna here, well, they're both deformed and mentally unusual. Now, in this room, we have a pair of remarkable mutants. Uh, Dr. Wally, uh, what's that coming up the hall toward us? It's Merrick, one of our more interesting patients. You, uh, you let them wander around the hall? This isn't a prison, Senator. Uh, hello there, Merrick. Where are you heading? I'm taking a little walk, Dr. Holly. This is Senator Bryan. He's paying us a visit here today. He's on the Senate Appropriations Committee. How interesting. I'm leaving here, Dr. Holly, right now. Leaving? But uh, you haven't been out of here in ten years, Merrick. I've decided to give the world another chance. You know the rules, Merrick. If you volunteer to come in as a patient, you have to give three months' notice. Now, that way we can prepare you for life in the outside world. I'm and leaving we... right now, Doctor. Ten minutes after I'm gone, you'll forget all about this. You remember there was once a Clyde Merrick here, but according to your records, he was discharged today, September 4th, 2019. You go directly to the recording computer and make the change. And as for you, Senator, whatever your name, you will have no recollection whatever of this conversation. And when you return to Washington, you will do your best to see that Dr. Hawley's appropriation is increased. Is all that clear? Good. Goodbye, Dr. Hawley. Thank you for everything. Uh, very well, Senator. Let's, uh, let's continue our little tour now. Uh, suppose I let you see our recreational therapy wing now. It's all right, Doctor. I, I don't feel very well. Could we sit down and rest for a while? The oddest sensation in my head. It's as if, uh, as if I fell asleep for a few minutes. In a very strange dream, a young man uh, talking to me. Maybe a little fresh air. It's rather warm in here. Yes, yes, yes. Fresh air would be good. Straight through that corridor, it'll take you to the courtyard. I'll, I'll be with you in just a moment. I, I have to stop in at the office and make an entry on a patient's record. Uh, something I've been meaning to do for a long time. I keep forgetting it. Uh, I'll be with you in a moment, Senator. <laughs> you can't stop is the danger that by its very nature keeps you from seeing that it's there or knowing that you've met it. That's a hard one to stop. It camouflages itself so that you don't even know you encountered it. Driving to town, Miss? Oh, yes. Yes, I am, but I never pick up strangers when I'm driving alone. Why did I stop the car? You will give me a lift. Um, I... Sure. Climb in. Over here next to me. Thanks. I was sure you'd change your mind. This is an awfully lonely part of the country to be hitching a ride in. Where are you coming from? You see that building up on the hill with the brick fence around it? Yes. Do you know what that is? Some sort of government hospital, isn't it? Close. 
It's a sanctuary for mutants. That's where I was coming from. From the mutant sanctuary? But are you a... A mutant? Do I look like one? I don't know. You look... You look... How do I look? I look perfectly normal, don't I? Yes, you... You look perfectly normal in... In every way. Tell me how I look to you. You're tall, blonde, blue eyes, broad shoulders, nice smile. You'd say I was good-looking? Yes. Yes, I'd say you were quite handsome. Thank you. What's your name? Lisa Roberts. You? My name is Clyde Merrick. Oh, you must work at the sanctuary, then. Yes, that's right. I I work there. This is my afternoon off, and I, I thought I'd hitch a ride into town for, for some fun. Well, you're lucky I stopped for you. I'm going all the way into town. And you know, it's funny, too. I, I never usually stop for strangers. Tony says I shouldn't. Well, who is Tony? My fiancé. You're going to get married, then. <laughs> That's what having a fiancé usually means. Yeah, we're, we're getting married in December. Going for a long cruise on our honeymoon. What do you do, Lisa? Do? Oh, oh, I'm a dancer. Maybe you've seen me on TV. I'm usually on every Saturday night. Not that anyone ever remembers a girl from the chorus. I don't look at TV much, I'm afraid. Is this... Tony of yours, a dancer, too? Yes, he's the leading man of the show. You love him very much, don't you? You could never think of marrying anyone else. You do talk strangely sometimes. I guess it's because you're around those crazy mutants all the time. Of course I love him very much. What do you think? How do you feel about mutants, Lisa? Just the way everyone else does, I suppose. What is that supposed to mean? Well, I, I feel sort of pity for them. But still, pity and all makes me feel creepy to think about people with two heads and all. None of them have two heads, Lisa. That particular mutation doesn't survive to adulthood. Most of the really strange ones die off the first few weeks of life. No, even so, I've seen pictures of them. Oof. It's a good thing they keep themselves cooped up in their sanctuaries. Good for them and good for us. Well, sometimes they leave the sanctuaries. They try to live like normal people. But they aren't normal people. Sometimes they can convince others that they are normal. We can be very convincing, Lisa. We? I'm a mutant, Lisa. I'm casting a mental projection that hides my true appearance. Oh, no. Leave me alone. Get out of the car! Oh, slow down. I won't hurt you. I'm, I'm very friendly. I'm a lonely person, Lisa, and, and you're so beautiful. You're not afraid of me, are you? I'm not afraid of you. Of course you aren't. You like me. You like me very much. I'm tall and broad-shouldered, and you think I'm handsome. Very handsome. More handsome than your fiancé, Tony. Of course. 
You're wondering what you ever saw in Tony, aren't you? You're starting to forget you ever had any liking for him at all. I can't imagine how I could ever let myself think I cared for him. You're forgetting him rapidly. You don't even know who Tony is now. But you know who I am, don't you? Yes, of course. And you'll love me. You've only known me for a few minutes, but despite that, you've fallen deeply in love with me. Haven't you, Lisa? Yes. I love you, Clyde. And I love you, Lisa. Will you marry me, Lisa? Of course, Clyde. Yes, I'll marry you. Darling. It isn't really Clyde Merrick's fault. He's not responsible for what he is. Uh, he was made that way by the genetic mutations caused by too much atomic warfare. It isn't his fault. But that doesn't make him tolerable, does it? He is an intolerable menace. Oh, that was a wonderful meal, darling. You know, I don't know how you did it. All those people waiting in line for tables and... The head waiter just took you right over to the spot. I have ways of being persuasive. Oh, I see. You love me? Of course, Lisa. We'll be married tomorrow and go far, far away. Rent a cabin somewhere and stay there for months and months and just read and fish and sleep. <laughs> oh, it sounds wonderful. It is wonderful. Just the two of us. I can't wait. You're not worried about Tony, are you? Tony? I don't know anyone named Tony, do I? No, you... You don't know anyone named Tony. Come on, let, let's get out of here. If you say so, darling. Where will we go? To your car. We'll, we'll drive out into the country. You can't see the stars here in town. You haven't paid the check. It doesn't matter. You see them trying to stop me? Well, no, but I... I can eat for free anytime. You see? They're smiling goodbye to anywhere? Take the road you were on this morning when you met me. Of course. Lisa. What is it, dear? Do you really love me? Really and truly love? I love you, Clyde. No. No, you don't. Not at all. Oh, whatever do you mean? It's no good. It isn't real. It's just another fraud. I don't understand. You don't love me. Not really. I've made you think you do, and you say you do, but that isn't enough. Every time I'd kiss you, every time I'd hold you in my arms, I'd know you were nothing but a puppet playing the role I made you play. Do you call that love? Clyde, you're talking nonsense. I wish I were. I thought I might be able to find some fulfillment outside the sanctuary, but I was wrong. What good is it all? I, I can fool everyone. Everyone except myself. Lisa, tell me again. How do I look to you? Why, tall, very good-looking, 
blonde hair, kind of wavy, regular features. In other words, as handsome as a video star. Mm. All right, stop the car. Stop it? Why? Because I want you to. Well? Ever since I left the sanctuary this morning, I've... I've been projecting a false appearance. It's a power of mine. Something special I have, thanks to the otherwise unkind providence. I'm going to turn that projection off now, Lisa. Let you have a look at me as I really am. As I look without the benefit of hypnotic trickery. Everything's all right now. You're starting to forget. In a moment, you'll have forgotten it. There. All better. How do you feel? Uh, All right, Clyde. Good. But you see, Lisa, I was wrong. I thought if I left the sanctuary at last, disguising myself as one of the normals, I could be happier. I could... But it would be a synthetic happiness. You can't live on nothing but cotton candy, Lisa. Start the car. Yes, Clyde. Drive up the hill to your left. And that's it, right right up to those big gates. All right. Stop here. This is the sanctuary. I'm back home now. Home to stay where I belong. Clyde, I'm... I'm all mixed up. I don't know what's happening. You're going to turn your car around and drive home, Lisa. You're going to go home and go to bed. And when you wake up in the morning, you'll have no recollection of today at all. You'll simply have lost a day. And you'll marry your Tony and you'll be happy with him. Is that clear, Lisa? Yes, Clyde. All right, now. You're beginning to forget me already. Say goodbye to me, Lisa. Goodbye, Clyde. That's right. No, don't... Don't kiss me. Merrick was. But while he could fool all those around him, he didn't fool himself. The program you are about to hear is fiction, science fiction. We make no guarantees, however, how long it will remain fiction. Exploring tomorrow.
our guide to these adventures of the mind, the editor of astounding science fiction magazine, John Campbell, Jr. Let's consider the proposition that interplanetary space flight has become a commercial proposition. There are regular liners running between the planets. And the Martian Queen, we'll say, is such a liner. A spaceship making a short run orbit from Mars to Earth. Uh, this time, she's carrying 150 passengers and a crew of 30 or so. She's made a long, uneventful trip from space, and now she's approaching the last leg of her voyage, the deceleration for landing. Your attention, please. Now, throughout the trip, artificial gravity has been maintained by spin around the long axis of the ship. In three minutes, the gyros will begin to slow the spin. We have to stop the rotation around the axis of the ship in order to apply thrust along it. Please get into your bunks and fasten your safety belts. At the appointed time, gyros cut in, slowing the spin on the ship. When the rotation had stopped, the skipper of the Martian Queen and his navigator were ready to begin the actual landing. How's our course, man? Dead on, Captain Terry. We're approaching Earth a little over 60 miles per second. <laughs> I need to land at this speed. How much time do we have? About 15 seconds. The rocket tubes are aligned properly with respect to Earth. The timer is set. Ready? Strapped in and ready. Keep her on automatic till the last 5,000 feet. I'll bring her down from there manually. Right, sir. There she goes. Hey, Blue, the engine room. Get engineering on the intercom. We're out of control. We're dropping straight toward Earth. The Martian Queen had been heading towards White Sands Spaceport. And as a matter of course, the radar teams at White Sands had been alerted for the landing. They had the ship pinpointed in their screens, and when the Martian Queen stopped decelerating, they knew there was something wrong. The major in charge of Control Tower 1 put in a fast emergency call to the commanding officer's white sand spaceport. General Starley speaking. What's that, Major? The Martian Queen. Where? Yes, I understand. All right, get all data you can on her now. Keep the radar tracking as long as possible and try to compute an orbit. I want to know where she's going to hit. And get a tight beam communications line to that ship. I want to speak to Captain Deering personally. Yes, Major, I'll be right over. Sergeant, get my jeep out in front fast. We're going to control Tower One. I'll be ready to gun it. This is a class AAA emergency. Major, have you made tight beam connections with the Martian Queen? Yes, sir. Good. Now I'll take the microphone. Hello, Captain Deering. This is General Stanley at White Sands. Can you hear me? This is Deering. You're coming in fine, General. What the devil happened up there? Explosion in the engine room. Don't know what caused it. Four men dead and the rocket troops are gone. What about the main converter? Almost completely gone. So it didn't blow into fragments when it went. There's plenty of heat radiation. The engine crew must have died almost instantly. Well, what about these secondary converters? Nothing left of them but molten metal and slag. Then you've got no way to slow down the ship or change its course? No way, whatever, General. Our only hope is that we don't hit Earth. If we are on a collision course, we're finished. I know. Let's hope you go on past Earth without hitting it. Now, we have a radar fix on you, but it isn't accurate at this distance. Now, get your navigator busy. Now, we want your coordinates and velocity as close as you can figure them. Oh, keep this line open. I'll call you as soon as I can get more information. Right. I'll get Levin busy on those figures. Over. Over. Oh, Major. Yes, sir. Keep that line open no matter what happens. As soon as Captain Deering gives you those figures, have them coded and put through the big computer. Try to get a closer radar fix and put that data through the computer, too. I want an orbit on the Martian Queen that's as close as skin. Get it? Yes, sir. Good. And keep this whole thing quiet. 
Nobody is to know that the Martian Queen is in trouble till I've notified the Secretary of Special Affairs in Washington. Meanwhile, I have to use your phone. Operator, this is Major General Stanley. I want to put in a person-to-person emergency call to the Secretary of Special Affairs, Washington, D.C. Call me back as soon as he's on the line. There are lives at stake. Hello, experimental station? General Stanley here. Now, let me talk to Colonel Asmore. I don't care what he's doing. Get him on the phone. Colonel Asmore, Stanley. What's the top acceleration of that new experimental job? That's right, the XV-19. Good. I want you to have it loaded, primed, and ready to go within ten minutes. Emergency. I'll say it's an emergency. I want you to move faster than you've ever moved before. I want the XV-19 rocket out on the launching pad and ready within ten minutes. Now, that's an order. And keep this under your hat. If a word of this leaks out or if that ship isn't ready to go on time, I'll see to it that you never wear those birds on your trover again. Is that clear? Good. Keep your line open for further orders. miles per second isn't terribly fast, as far as celestial objects are concerned. But 60 miles per second is 216,000 miles per hour. And when the Martian Queen had had her accident, she was already close in to Earth. Something had to be done within the next 25 minutes. But what can be done in only 25 minutes? Captain, I just got word from First Officer Haggerty that's trouble. Some of the passengers are getting space sick from being in free fall. They're wondering why the ship isn't decelerating. Just have to take it a while longer. Did you get those figures relayed down to General Stanley? Yes, they said to hold on and give us the data as soon as possible. But, but the passengers... I know, are... I know. Now, what did you want me to do? Tell them that the Martian Queen might be headed for the biggest, most spectacular crack-up in history? That'd be real smart, wouldn't it? Well, I didn't mean it that way, Skipper. I, I'll make the radio phone. That's White Sands again. Deering here. Deering, this is Stanley. How's everything? The same as ever. No propulsion, no escape. How does our orbit look? We have your coordinates down to a hair. We know within a mile or two uh, where you'll hit. Then we will hit it. Well, that does it, doesn't it? I'm afraid so. If nothing happens between now and then, you're going to get a hot dunk in the ocean. I see. Uh, where will we hit? We'll give or take a mile or so, you'll hit Long Island Sound. About ten miles south of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Well, we... You do what has to be done, General. You can depend on me for my end of it. I know I could. I'll let you know how things work out. I'll be waiting. The seconds tick by, and every second that passes brings the Martian Queen 60 miles closer to Earth. At that speed, it doesn't take long to move a few thousand miles. The Martian Queen was heading toward death at 3,600 miles a minute. Captain Daring, this is Stanley again. Colonel Osborne just phoned. We're sending up the XV-19, a super-fast high-acceleration rocket. It's the only thing that can possibly reach you in time, and even so, it'll be a close thing. Meanwhile, I've got to get in touch with the Secretary of Spatial Affairs, but he's out of his office right now. I'll let you know when to expect the rocket. All right, General. We'll be ready. Over. Over. Captain, I just came from the dining hall. Some of the passengers got out of their bunks and looked out the big viewport. And then they could see Earth, and they could see we're falling toward it. One of them started fighting with First Officer Haggerty, and the thing has ended up in a riot. The crazy fools, there's no time to be fighting. Can't the crew do anything? That triangle, it's pretty rough. Give me that microphone. Your attention, please. This is Captain Deering. Now, please, your attention. 
There has been an accident. The drive engines of the ship have been disabled and we're in a free fall orbit. However, there is no reason to become panicked. We are in contact with White Sand Spaceport and we've been notified that everything is under control. Now, some of you have been worried by the sight of Earth through the viewport. But I assure you we are no danger of striking Earth. I repeat, the Martian Queen absolutely will not strike Earth. I'm well aware that this gravity-less condition is uncomfortable to many of you, but please have patience. It will only last for a few more minutes. I suggest that all of you return to your cabins and strap yourselves in. If acceleration were to return suddenly, anyone not strapped down might be seriously hurt. Please return to your cabins. Thank you. Well, that'll help some. Blevin, you go down and talk to them. Give them the same sort of information I gave them. And, Blevin... Yes, sir? Isn't one of the passengers a minister? Had... Oh, yes, sir. The uh, Reverend James Taylor, I think his name is. Uh, he was a missionary on Mars. Yeah, well, get him to help you. Sometimes people will listen to a clergyman when they won't pay attention to a space officer. Right, sir. I'll do what I can. Just a minute. That's Stanley. Yes, Deering here. Deering, the XV-19 is on the launching pad now, loaded and ready to go. I haven't been able to get hold of the Secretary of Spatial Affairs yet, but uh, there isn't time to wait. I just got the signal, Deering. The XV-19 has left the launching pad. It will be up to you to guide it into the Martian Queen. Good luck, Deering. Thanks. But you'll need the good luck more than I will. So... Good luck and, uh, goodbye. Okay, Blevin, go down and give them a speech. This is Major General Stanley at White Sands Spaceport. I have been trying to get the Secretary of Spatial Affairs person to person Washington, D.C. It has been 20 minutes now. Wait. He's on the line. All right. Oh, hello, Mr. Secretary. Hello, General. I got to my office as soon as I heard. I've read the teletype report that you sent to my office. Is the Martian Queen definitely going to land in Long Island Sound? If it isn't stopped, yes. Well, is there any way at all of getting the drive going again? No, sir. Captain Deering stated flatly that the main converter and the secondaries are absolutely and completely ruined. It would take weeks to repair them. We only have minutes. Then we'll have to send up a rescue ship. That's impossible, sir. A rescue ship would never make it in time. It would have to accelerate to take off, decelerate to match the Martian Queen's velocity, and then accelerate to keep from hitting Earth along with the Queen. All in all, it would take more than an hour using every bit of acceleration a human being could stand. Then there's absolutely no way we can save them. None whatever, sir. There just isn't time. Well, just lucky this time, I suppose. Lucky? What do you mean? Well, it could have been worse. What if it landed in a populated area like New York City instead of Long Island Sound? You don't understand, Mr. Secretary. It isn't the Long Island Sound we have to worry about. It's the spaceship sound. What do you mean? Just what I said. It doesn't matter whether the Martian Queen hits Long Island Sound or New York City itself. The results will be almost the same. It's the sound waves, the noise that will do the damage. I don't quite understand. You know what happens when a supersonic jet plane flies too low over a city, don't you? At 1,500 miles an hour, the shock wave from a jet plane can break windows from miles around. What do you think will happen when that spaceship comes in at 216,000 miles an hour? It will flatten every structure within a 50-mile radius. If that ship hits Long Island Sound, New York City will be toppling in ruins before it ever arrives. From Newark, New Jersey to Hartford, Connecticut, 
That shock wave will knock over everything standing. Can we evacuate the area? In a few minutes, I'll hardly. And what do you suggest, General? There's only one thing we can possibly do. Send up a rocket with an atomic bomb in it and blow that ship into gas before it hits. Are you crazy, General? Blow up 180 innocent people? I can't permit that, and it's murder. Murder? Is it murder to kill people who are already doomed? Is it murder to save the lives of 20 million people? There must be another way. General, I order you to send up a rescue ship immediately. Listen, you blockhead. Do you understand that it is impossible to send up a rescue ship? Do you understand that I can't pull miracles out of a hat? We could no more get a rescue ship up there in time than we could catch the Martian Queen with our bare hands. You can't talk to me that way, General. I'm sorry. I'm simply trying to get you to understand there's only one way out. Those people in that spaceship are going to die, no matter what we do. It would be better if they died without taking a few million more people with them. There must be some other way. Do you have any suggestions? Well, I... Well, no. Exactly. I... There isn't any other way. Now, do I have your permission to send up that bomb? No. We've got to think of something else. It's no use. I just looked at the clock, Mr. Secretary. It's too late to do anything at all now. Even if you ordered it, a, a rocket bomb leaving this instant would be too late. General, you have to do something. All those oh, people... Oh, don't worry, Mr. Secretary. The Martian Queen won't hit the Earth. There won't be any crash. I sent up an XV-19 rocket under robot control several minutes ago. It was loaded with a thermonuclear warhead. I would have liked to have had your permission, but there simply was no time. You've already blown it up? That's right. I did it with Captain Deering's cooperation, of course. He knew it was the only way to prevent the destruction of 20 million people. So he guided the missile into his own ship. The Martian Queen was vaporized over a minute ago. I presume you know what this means, General? I know what it means. I'll have to be court-martialed because most people won't understand why I did it any more than you did. Even if I get out of it with a whole skin, I lose everything I've ever worked for. But that's a small matter compared with the satisfaction of knowing that I saved the lives of 20 million human beings. Maybe those people will understand why Captain Deering and I did what we did. And they're the ones who count. as time goes by, things do change, but the fundamental things apply. And the most fundamental of all, really, is you can't walk out on a problem and just let it take care of itself. By the time it gets taken care of, it's ready to take care of you, but good. Join us each Wednesday and Friday night for a fascinating adventure... In Exploring Tomorrow. Script was by Paul Anderson. Produced and directed by Sanford Marshall here in New York. This is Mutual, the world's largest network. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. 
In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. This is the Mutual Audio Network, where we listen and imagine together.